Hey, Think Squad, Joel Sedeckes here. I'm really excited about today's episode, and you're going to notice very, very quickly that it's very different from what we normally do. See, I've been doing these apologetics AMAs on Discord, on the politics server, and it's been so cool. It's been the closest thing to like digital street preaching that I've been able to do, or like street apologetics. Basically, what I do is I set up shop in this special room that they set up. It's a voice chat room on the Discord server. And anybody who wants to can come on and ask me any question related to the Christian message, the Bible, theology, apologetics, and we get a very diverse group of people. Here's my hope for this episode. My hope is that you'll be able to hear what apologetics sounds like in action, in real time, unscripted, apologetics in the raw, on the digital street, if you will, And my hope is that this will inspire you and encourage you to go out there with God's word, with the Christian message, and to unapologetically engage in apologetics, standing firm on the word of God, being confident and assured that God's word is a sure, sound foundation. And so I always say when you're doing apologetics, there's really only two skills that you need. You need to know how to ask good questions, and you need to know what the Bible teaches. Let me just give you a quick request. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, would you please give us an honest five-star rating and review? In fact, why not just pause right now? I'll wait and give us that honest five-star rating and write a quick review for us. The reason why is that really helps us get the word out about the ThinkPod And um, I've been really grateful for the way you guys have shown up big time on that in the past. Also, if you're looking for more apologetics resources, why don't you go ahead and head on over to thethink.institute, thethink.institute. That's our website. You can contact me through the website, and also you can get access to a ton of apologetics, evangelism, and biblical worldview resources right there. And If you like the ministry, if you like the Think Institute, you've been blessed by it, can I encourage you to prayerfully consider partnering with us in a prayerful and financial way. You can get all that information on our website as well, or you can go to give.crew.org slash 101-8841. That's give.crew, that's C-R-U dot org slash 101-8841. Thank you guys so much for listening. Think Squad, I appreciate you. I hope this makes you think. Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedeckes. And now, get ready to think. Come on up. You've been invited. Hey, what's up? I sound like a squeaker, sorry. Ah, what's up? Well, nothing. Just a little interested in this. I just... I hardly seen this. This is just added to Discord, right? This yeah, new uh, stage room. So yeah. we're using it as an AMA for Joel. So Joel's, Joel's, a, Joel's a, a Christian apologist. Do you have any anything you've ever wanted to ask? Uh, okay. That knows a lot about the Bible or theology. Or just I'm just a little confused on Christian apologists. I tried to do some quick searches like for 20 minutes, and I didn't get anywhere. Really? Just now, how about this, Joel? Yeah, well, what is? What is a, being a, what is a Christian, being a, what is an apologetics, what is a Christian apologist, what is that? Yeah, a totally fair question. So apologetics, so a Christian apologist is someone who engages in apologetics, and apologetics is the discipline of vindicating the truth 
of the Christian message. The word apologetics comes from a passage in the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And um, in that verse, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you oh, about okay. the hope that is within you. So, okay, and that, so that word defense. the questions or tries to. I try to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So defense in Greek is apologia. That's where we get our word apologetics from. Okay. Because I've encountered a lot of like um, Christians, Catholics and stuff. It's really going nowhere. So I'm going to try on this one. So I'm actually an atheist. Yeah. Oops. Hold on. I lost you. Shoot. Can you hear me? Okay. Can you hear me? Anything? Sorry. I lost you for a second. Go ahead. So you said, I heard you say you're an atheist. Mm-hmm. I'm an atheist. Okay. Um, was a nihilist, but I'm open for things. Okay. So I think, like, I think there's probably something that had to create the universe. Nothing could just come. It, it, something has to come from nothing, you know? So, nothing. Something has to come from something, sure. Yeah. So what made you believe it? Like, what was the idea? Um, what made me believe what in particular? Your entire religion. Was there anything like behind it that was science? Because I like to go for the science. That's why I'm an atheist. Got it. Uh, got what it. Got, what got you into it? Well, what if you don't mind me asking? What's um? You said you you like to go for the science. That's why you're an atheist. What do you see as being the connection between atheism and science? Atheism and science. So normally, when you're an atheist, you're more you're more in the science side instead of the religion side because religion can't always provide science. Well, atheism is mainly science and is is not yet discovered, but still has a possible soon-to-be-discovered answer. So oh, okay. I think every, everything has an answer. Everything has an answer. Even, even if there was a creationism, um, I don't think there's still an answer. I see. Okay, so you believe that, that everything ultimately has an answer from science. Like, science will eventually give us all the answers, even though even the ones we don't currently have today, right? Yeah, like we just found out a new, um, somewhat of a new, like, physics table. Instead of our elements, we found another element table. It's smaller, it's not the same, but it's different. We found a new element table? It wasn't like, it's not like that, it's smaller. If you just look into it, I didn't look too much into it, I'm more into uh, looking into the mysteries of quantum mechanics. Nice. The double the double slit experiment. Yeah, yeah. That That's fascinating. The double slit experiment, it's really fascinating. Um Which, yeah. I'm uh, sorry. Go ahead. It just concludes. I, <laughs> then it gives it gives points to um, us being in a like computer, but I don't think that's true. Oh yeah. Now that's a whole nother question. Sure. So probably is better than quantum computers that are running us. So, um, there there definitely there definitely is this conception that atheism and science work well together. What a lot of people don't really realize, ah. Uh, if I can call you ah, uh, is um, atheism and science are, are actually not allies. They're actually enemies. A lot of people don't realize that. And um, what I mean by that is if atheism is true, if we live in a godless universe, um, there'd be no reason to believe that scientific inquiry would be possible. Because science, as I'm sure you know, science relies on a lot of assumptions um even what you just said about you know science will eventually give us all the answers 
you know, that's an assumption. That's a, that's actually a faith statement because you can't actually arrive at that statement scientifically. You know, like there's nothing, there's no experiment that you could run that would show you the truth or falsity of the statement, you know, science will eventually give us all the answers. Um, it's, it's a statement that's sort of taken on faith. Um, science itself relies on some of these faith commitments that you actually have to believe before you can be engaging in science. One of them is that the universe is intelligible, meaning it's, um, it, it, it can give us meaningful information in a way that we can process and make sense out of the world and, and take actions that are going to be, you know, in accordance with the way the universe works. Uh, another assumption of science is something called uniformity in nature, meaning, um, you can do an experiment, let's say in China, um, and then given the exact same pre, uh, the exact same conditions, you could do the same experiment in the United States or Africa and get you know, the same result, all things being the same. Um, you know, physics are going to be consistent. Natural laws are going to be consistent. Um, another principle would be induction or inductive reasoning, meaning you can do an experiment on a limited sample of the whole, whatever the whole is. You know, you obviously can't do uh, an experiment on... Um, the pick an element, you know, on all the lead in the universe, but you could do some experimentation on a limited portion of lead. And then you could draw conclusions about how all lead behaves under, you know, similar circumstances, similar conditions. So that's, that's called induction or inductive reasoning. Um, all of these assumptions, all of these commitments are not something that is that are established scientifically, they are preconditions or assumptions or presuppositions that are brought to science. And so the, when, when people say, well, science and atheism work well together, actually all those assumptions work perfectly well within the Christian framework. The Christian worldview, um, posits a God, the God who keeps the universe consistent, who upholds it by the power of his word. Um, he created us to be rational beings. Go ahead. I want to want to hold this because it's going to get too far. Um, so you said, so I, I tried to pick up on it. It was a little, little too much. Um, but you're saying like doing analysis on certain things in certain locations isn't fully uh, scientific uh, facts. Right? No, no, that, no, what I'm saying is that that is... No, what I'm saying is, sorry if I miscommunicated there. What I'm saying is, um, doing experiments, doing different kinds of experiments is part and parcel with science. It's, it's part of science. Um, but there's no reason to think, given an atheistic universe, that the world will behave in a consistent, reliable way. That's what I'm getting at. Or that our minds would be aimed at truth and being able to to take in truth from the universe and process it in a in a way that was actually aimed at truth, as opposed to say survival. Go ahead. You're saying that we can't predict certain things. That's kind of why you think that there's some type of creationism. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm really <laughs> no problem. No, no problem. I'm sorry. I, I um, I, I might have, I might have gone. I, I might have just. Uh, maybe I should start here. Maybe I'll say this. So, the very fact of. First of all, I love science, and I'm glad that you like science too. Um, science, let me ask you this. Uh, I'm sure you know this. Science 
for us to be able to do science, we have to assume that the universe is regular, right? Like the, that the universe is going to behave in a, a consistent way. Would you agree with that? Uh, not always, no. No, no, not not always, but like, like we shouldn't expect tomorrow. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we shouldn't expect tomorrow that the universe is going to pop in and out of existence seventeen times or something like that. Oh, like, yeah. right? Like, yeah, there's some consistency to everything. There's there's some consistency to everything, right? Even the fact that we're we're talking right now, and I'm expecting you to understand the words that are coming out of my mouth because they're going to mean the same thing that they meant five minutes ago. Like all these words I'm using. You know, we're expecting the fact that the universe is going to demonstrate consistency, reliability. That's one of the beautiful things about science is um, we hope if we're doing our science correctly, it's going to give us actual true conclusions. Like once you do an experiment on the acceleration of gravity in a vacuum on Earth, you come to realize that the acceleration of gravity is 9.8 meters per second square squared. So, when I say we expect the universe to behave in a regular way, what I mean is we we would not expect gravity to suddenly start fluctuating and, you know, one minute it's 9.8 meters per second squared and then the next minute or tomorrow it's, you know, 3.2 and the next minute it's negative eight. Um, you know, we expect the universe to behave in a, a normal way, in a rational way. And we take that so much for granted that we never stop to think what kind of programming is in the universe? What what kind of metaphysic, re, what kind of reality would... Okay, so the universe had to build itself. I, I can kind of understand this. I'm not crazy into physics. It takes like an actual math, extreme mathematician to understand physics. Yeah, sure. Gravitational pulls. But sure. it takes billions of years to build these things up. It, it, even if there was a creationist, do you... No, this is just a question. Yeah. Um, do you think a god created... Uh, so they said the earth you, how long do you think it took God to create the universe well according to the Bible it was six days six days for the universe mm -hmm. was time dilated at all because that's not really possible well it's not possible without God uh, I mean I'd be, I, I agree with you on that it's, it wouldn't be possible without God um, but then again if God doesn't exist, there's no reason to expect that there would be a universe at all, much less that it would be regular, much less that we'd be able to, you know, to do science in it. Something, something. Keep in mind, guys, we have other people that would. Okay. Okay, here. So I'll, I'll cut to the chase, Ah, just, just because I want to honor everyone's time and I, I do want to honor your original question. So, um, the reason why, what led me to actually become a Christian, I was raised a Christian. So in terms of, why I became a Christian. My parents raised me to be a Christian, taught me the gospel, and um, and that's sort of situationally how I became a Christian. Um, now, in my life as a Christian, I've been very grateful and very overwhelmed by how much the Bible, uh, the biblical worldview, we might say, presents a framework in which science works. If you take God out of the equation, science actually doesn't work in that worldview. It, there's no reason to expect that science would work. So, um, if you ever want to check it out, you can, I've got a website, thethink.institute. There's a search bar on there. If you just type in science, or you know what you could do is you could type in why science needs Jesus. Um, I, I've wrote, I recorded a podcast episode a while back and, um, it's, it, it might help you understand my, my point of view. Does that sound all right? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have a kind of objections to that, but I'll, I'm going to let other people talk. Yeah. F- fair enough. I know. We could probably talk all day about this stuff, but I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. I post, by the way, everybody, I posted links to Joel's stuff. Thanks, man. Thanks for posting those. All right. We have Ethelric next. Go. Yeah, sorry. Uh, there's this one thing I, I thought about the other day. I'm like, all right. So if atheism is right, there there was no God. I'm like, how did, how did the universe be created? Stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm thinking about like with the gods and stuff. Well, it's like, how can something like the, the, God, the God itself come from nothing? Because I just struggled with the eternal part where it's like, I could just be there. It's like, yeah. how would consciousness for that thing even work? Hmm. Okay. Great, great, great question. So, first of all... How would it even... No. Is, is the question... I don't know. Just, uh, I mean, okay, it's... I'm not sure I even got that one. Did you get? I'm on. Okay. My, Let me. I should probably just type it out or something. Yeah. No. T- uh, no worries. We can. We can, uh, we can circle back if you want to. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, my my understanding. I'm back up um, when you got when we got all in line. So I'm gonna move you back down. Next person is True Blue Dino. You're. I'm inviting you up. And by the way, who is Patty? Patty's in in the chat right now. Um, Patty. Hello. Hey, hello. Yeah, I'm trying to I, I, I came in kind of recently, so I didn't really listen to your presentation. Okay. However, I'm 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 kind of agnostic now, and it's part of one I've been critical my entire life. And part of my journey out has been, you know, kind of grappling with how a god who, uh, you know, we see as all powerful can possibly allow so much uh, evil. And uh, his very uh, nature caused evil himself and uh, admittedly caused evil as he was and uh, even beyond the Bible, just looking at now, how, uh, you know, so many, uh, hundreds of millions of people or tens of millions of people died here from incurable diseases, millions of children died here, infants that is through no fault of their own. I mean, and can a God who is all powerful, uh, uh, allow such evil if he is to be a god that is all good. Hmm. Um, yeah, thanks for your question. How do you define evil? Um, so, I, uh, I don't think there's a way to define it objectively. I, I honestly don't. However, I have some moral standards of, you know, what I think is good and based on those moral standards, you know, depending on how far away other things fall from those standards, I can kind of evaluate that they are bad or evil in a sense. So for example, I hold a standard that uh, life is valuable uh, because we're here and 
it feels like the, the best thing to preserve uh, what we have here, which is our species, and preserve uh, uh, preserve humanity. And so, anything that threatens humanity or or or, or uh, threatens life to me would not be good. It all would be bad or evil if it is purposeful. If it's accidental, then you can have an argument. Do you, do you believe that human beings were created with intrinsic value? Um, well, I, well I, I no longer believe that we were created, uh, but I think humans, uh, I think, I think humanity, I think huma- humans, yes, have value. I think humanity bears value. And where does that value come from? Well, uh, you know, our capacity to create new things or capacity to think or capacity to reason and rationalize so we, uh, we argue and we come up with uh, new ideas that uh, even to us make where we are better okay um, we make things better so, so you believe that there is a better there is a worse um, and you believe humans have value but you don't believe that we were created do you believe that we are the result of essentially a cosmic accident or, or, or was there some intentionality behind our creation? I think it's, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's possible that, um, that, that we were, and I, I, I haven't, I haven't studied, uh, the specific fields of, um, of, of, of astronomy or, or, or physics or, uh, um, anthropology or human nature or whatever to, 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 to be able to you know kind of uh, proffer my own point or my hmm. own argument my own affirmative argument but I think it's possible it's, okay it's possible do you think it's possible that God created us and that's why we have value oh yeah I think that's possible as well okay um yeah one of the one of the difficulties you're going to have um true blue is um you know, you see all the death in the world and you say, man, that, that's, that's horrible. That's a terrible thing. And I know you, I can see that you recognize that human beings do have value, even if you can't pinpoint where it comes from. So what, what you recognize, but can't acknowledge, let me, let me take you all the way there and, and reveal to you why you have such a strong sense of human value. Because I do agree with you 100% that human beings do have value. I think death is a tragedy and death is an enemy. But I also believe those things, not only because I feel those things, as you said, you know, you, you feel that humans have value, but, um, ultimately we need something more substantial than our feelings and our questions. And we need something true, right? Would you agree with that? Why? Not necessarily. Oh, you don't. Well, because you might feel one way, I might feel another way. And, you know, I might feel a different way tomorrow than I do today. And if, if all we're relying on is our feelings, that's not an objective, um, certain, basis for believing something right we don't just believe things because i you know i might feel that there's a truck coming you know to use a kind of crazy example i might feel that there's a truck coming down the road um or i might feel that there's not one but that has no objective bearing on whether or not there is a truck cro- coming and whether or not i should cross the road right I so agree. I, I think you're making an indictment on christianity then oh because christianity is or oh, sorry so, well nothing christianity i'm just in christianity but religion it's uh it's based upon a series of beliefs that aren't necessarily uh grounded in tangible uh reality or intangible well, evidence. 
No, it's well, a leap of faith. No, Christianity is actually not a leap of faith. A lot of people think that. That actually comes from Soren Kierkegaard, which uh, he was sort of the first existentialist philosopher. Uh, Christianity is not a leap of faith. There's nothing in Scripture that calls us to take a leap of faith. There's not one instance of anybody in the Bible being commended for having blind faith in God. But you, you kind of just, didn't you kind of just say that to the previous two, two persons before me? Or like, um, I don't think that's possible for the earth to be created in six days, you know, just sort of naturally. Oh, like, sure, yeah, but there's right? there's nothing illogical. Like, everything is possible. That's kind of a leap of faith. No, that's not a leap of faith because it's a leap of faith into the dark is, is blind faith based on nothing. Um, where, which, no offense, uh, but you know your your belief, True Blue, that human beings have value is kind of a perfect example of blind faith. There's you can't say why they have value or where that value comes from, and you know you mentioned something about astronomy and physics, but you know um, contrast that with the biblical worldview, which says human beings absolutely have value because we're made in God's image. Um, God gives us that value. God gives us that dignity. He also created us to be moral creatures. And when our first father, Adam, fell, when he sinned, he violated God's command and God's perfect moral order. And so what God did was he actually cursed this it cursed our existence, basically. Um, and he did that so that the... God erred in making us so the sorry to sin. Excuse me. That was an error of No, no. No, it's not, it's not part of the biblical worldview that God can make errors, of course, but the, the fact that God gave Adam that kind of free will and then Adam, what Adam chose to do with it are, did have consequences and God warned Adam about the consequences. And so, you know, today, the natural evil that we see in the world and the moral evil that we see in the world is evil. It is bad. It, it is not part of the original design, which is why you and I have conversations like this, because we recognize that there's something off. There's something broken. The Bible talks about how the, the creation has been subjected to frustration. And why? Why has it been subjected to frustration? Well, according to, to Acts chapter 17, God places each individual person in their particular family line at the particular time in history where he wants them to live so that if they would merely grope around in the dark, they would follow him, they would find him. And the very fact that you're asking this question, True Blue Dino, is a really, it, it corroborates perfectly exactly what the Bible says. You're, you're searching. Um, but you also have to understand too that you can't even talk about moral categories like this unless you presuppose the Bible's uh, truth because God is absolutely true. God is absolutely good. Human beings absolutely do have value, but because we've sinned, um, the two things have happened. One, our sin causes pain and suffering for others. And two, the natural world is now subjected to futility and frustration so that it would draw us back to God. And um, what I want to do is I want to present you with the good news that saved me, um, which is that although God is good, we've sinned and we've actually earned God's punishment and death and hell. But the free gift of God, even though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Bible is very clear that one day um, the Lord Jesus is going to return and undo and make right everything that has gone wrong. So the so creative story, the creation story does have a happy ending. The, uh, for some, 
What about the millions of children who die each year? They they don't necessarily they don't have a ticket into heaven. Uh the the Bible talks about it. Well, first of all, first of all, so they're destined to hell unless they they have accepted Jesus Christ and they're not saved. They most likely have. Hmm. Well, in in that's a fair question. It's a little bit different from your original question, but I'll I'll chase it just for a minute. The um the biblical worldview says that God is perfectly good and he's perfectly fair. So there won't be a single person in hell who uh we might say isn't there shaking his fist at God, hating God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, not the wages of goodness or innocence is death. It also says no man commits the father but through Jesus. Correct. Yeah, that's right. You cannot go to heaven unless you believe that Jesus is Lord. That that's that's correct, and and so we don't pick and choose our doctrines. And so, um, the same Bible that teaches us that no one comes to God also teaches uh, except through Jesus Christ. Also teaches us that Jesus loves little children. Also teaches us that see that there are some contradictions. There. No, there's not a there's not a contradiction there. But you're giving me a perfect one. Hey guys, guys. Um, there are other people who want to speak. Um, I'm going to give you guys about two, three more minutes, and then we're going to move on. Sounds great, Patty. By the way, Patty, it's good to meet you. I didn't know you, I didn't know you were uh, an admin in here, um, or a mod sorry. rather. I didn't realize oh. that. I didn't realize you were a mod. I was like, I was like, who's Patty? Because I've never seen you in here before. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, Joe. Um, yeah, I. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm a mod here. I do like uh, agriculture stuff. And, so yeah. Anyway, awesome. it's not about me. It's about you guys. So yes. Okay. <laughs> Okay, cool. So, so, uh, so no, there's, uh, it's not a logical contradiction. Um, the, the, the three answers to why does God allow evil is one, um, God works all things together for good. That's one. Uh, two, God comforts us in the face of evil, uh, such that even if we don't have an answer, we can have existential rest. And so I'd encourage you to enter into that rest through Jesus Christ, true blue dino, because that's the only way you're going to get that, that kind of rest, that existential rest that you're longing for. And the third one is we, his creation cannot possibly answer back to God for anything that he has chosen to do. We, we trust what the Bible says. We trust that God is good. And I've seen enough examples of this in my own life to see how God has used terrible evil in my own life for good. And so I trust him and I would encourage you to trust him too. And the Bible does say that no one comes to God except through Jesus Christ. So I'd encourage you to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. Awesome. All right. Hey so, oh, oh yep. Yeah, yeah, Sorry yep. about that. All right. Good. Yep. We're good. Um, all right. So thanks so much. We'll, we'll, we'll call it that. If you want to come up again, True Blue, that's fine. We just have like, sure. Like yeah, I'll, I'll keep my answers a lot shorter, guys. I, I've been long winded tonight. Right, I'll, I'll politely remind you. Yes. Yep. Go ahead. All right. Uh, I'll be. Uh, it's working if you could keep it clean please just because you know this, okay. just for this question thank you so you know how like the Abrahamic blessing and that how it got passed down to Israel yeah I'm, I'm sorry can you repeat that oh, sorry can you repeat that you know the Abrahamic blessing that got passed down to Israel um. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If if Israel gave it to 
didn't give it to Judah. Right. Then why are his descendants the chosen people? If Israel didn't give it to Judah, um, what do you mean by that? I mean, he passed it down to a, it's Joseph, I think. His other son, yeah. Um, no, no, um, no, that's not accurate. Uh, so Abra- Abraham's, uh, so a- Abraham's son of the promise was Isaac, and it was God said that it was through Isaac that that the blessing would come, the promise would come. So Isaac was the son of the blessing. Um, and then Isaac's children were Jacob and Esau, and that might be what you're thinking of. Um, but, but Jacob received the, the blessing as God said that he would. Um, and then through Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons and uh, Judah was one of those sons. And, um, those 12 sons were the 12 patriarchs of Israel. And then the ultimate inheritor of that blessing is the Lord Jesus Christ from the tribe of Judah. And anyone who, who has the faith of Abraham, who believes that God can raise the dead, who believes in the son of the promise, um, is united to Jesus, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, as scripture calls him. And, um, those promises that God gave to Abraham are actually fulfilled for the believer in Jesus Christ in a, in a cosmic fulfillment. So I'm not exactly sure if that answers your question, but I didn't quite understand your question, to be honest with you. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Cool. 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 Hey, thanks. By the way, for people who can't raise their hands, I'm trying to fix that. For some reason, how it's set up, I can't edit the channel. I can delete it, read it, and all that stuff. Hmm. But we're, I'm on that. So uh, just DM me. Uh, if you have any questions. Oh, shoot. Oh, no. Oh, you can still hear me. Oh, cool. I thought... Okay. I'm having some sound issues. I don't know why. Hmm. All right. Okay. Hello? I don't know why. Hello, Marxist dude. You're up, my friend. Marxism. Yes. He just he just DM'd me. Going once. Going twice. Okay. Uh DM me when you're back up. Oh, are you there? You're turning green. But we can't hear anything. Hello, hello. Marxism. Um, this has been a repeated problem with stages and like every server, uh, people really? come in. Yeah. And they, they will light up their audios working perfectly fine, but no one can hear them. That's the weirdest thing. That's weird. Okay. Sorry, buddy. Try, um, reloading your discord client, um, leaving and then coming back. Uh, we're going to honestly, if he's on mobile, like I doubt it will work yeah. because this is, it's very selective and it happens to mobile users often. Hmm. Yes, mobile. Uh, mobile's always a source of issue. Like, I'm actually okay. using mobile. I'm surprised it even works on my end. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, we'll move from Marx's. Uh, so uh, we'll try to fix the issue. Um, well, we can't fix it, but try again. DM me when you're ready to try, and I'll uh, invite uh, Fulken up because he wants to go next. Go ahead, buddy. Oops, sorry, I didn't, I didn't see myself on the count. Uh, 
would you consider belief in the Bible in itself a leap of faith? Uh, can you define leap of faith? Well, just jumping to the belief that it is true based on nothing but that. Um, okay, G- give, me an, give me an example of a belief that you would say is not a leap of faith. Uh, being able to replicate experiments and let's just say I want to I want to see atoms you know I want to yeah. you know uh, and I, I hear about I hear about them on the news and all that you know crap uh, and I want to see them for myself well I buy a microscope myself and look at them I can, I can do that I can actively look at what is happening in these yeah uh, via the machines sure but, I couldn't see, like, I, I couldn't actively replicate, nor could I see what Jesus did. All I have is the writings of he did something at some point. Ah, uh, okay. So you're, you're saying because the Bible has historical truth claims in it and we can't, obviously there's no way to reduplicate history. Therefore, it's some, in some regard, it's a leap of faith. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that, you know, it, it's a truth history. I'm saying more of... We we haven't seen anything that really can replicate such a thing. It's make it's it's essentially just you know believing something happened because someone said it's essentially just folk history written into a book. Mm. That's really all it is. I mean, like there there's already there's contradic- uh, there's contradictory claims from essentially across the entirety of the Middle East of you know other um other uh individuals uh just example in the in the quran they mention jesus under a different name uh but not but not as some prophet but more as um uh you know some um heavily religious individual i, I can't remember no well in his in islam before. in the quran he's called isa and he is called the messiah and a prophet but he's not the, so that's not accurate not but the prophet He's well, right. He's not the last prophet. They think that Muhammad was the last prophet, but you know, just in terms of historical study, I mean, you always go with the the source that was closer to the actual events. Um, well, and, you know, it was closest to the actual event. Well, because we know when the Bible was written. I mean, we've got we we've got textual criticism on the Bible. We know the well, Bible. Yeah, we we know when it was written. Yes. Right. But so, but you you well, hold on a second. Your question was, how do we know the Bible was written closer to the actual events? Because we know the Bible was written in the first century. Um, between probably between let's say 63 and 95 depending on when you date the book of revelation uh, we also know that the quran was not written any earlier than the 600s so i mean there's a gap of, of you know over half a millennium there so um it's really not germane to what jesus was like unless you unless you're a muslim and you just you know sort of start with the presupposition that the quran is true which i don't think i hear you saying uh, that I'm not, I'm not, obviously I'm right not, uh, so, so your, your statement about, um, your statement about, you know, going to get a microscope and, and look at atoms and things like that. So, um, there are assumptions bound up in that. You're not just getting a, mi- a microscope. You're not just engaging in scientific inquiry. Um, you're, you're making a lot of assumptions that you, you take for granted there, which I think are fine, perfectly fine assumptions. The question is which worldview accounts for them. The, the assumption that, um, or the, the the prior belief we can call it I don't want to call it it's not necessarily um, a bad assumption but the idea that your eyes are going to work that your eyes and your brain and your mind work together to take in data and come to true conclusions about the universe you know the idea that there really is such a thing as 
atoms. Um, the idea that the people who have gone before you, who have taught you about atoms and who have seen atoms through microscopes, uh, weren't lying, that it'd be wrong to lie, and that the universe behaves in a consistent, reliable way such that just because there were atoms 500 years ago, you know, they haven't just gone away suddenly. You know, the universe behaves in a consistent way. What I'm saying is those are all prior assumptions that you have to bring to your scientific inquiry that if you start from the belief that the Bible is true and God is there, all those assumptions are perfectly rational, perfectly in line with that first presupposition. And you can do something like scientific inquiry and not be surprised that, hey, atoms are still there. But if you start without God, what you're left with is an irrational universe that you have to try to understand rationally. And that is, um, it's a contradictory, it's a self-defeating Endeavor from the, the from the start. Acts rationally. Right, the universe acts rationally, but that's a that's a Christian presupposition. the The universe acts rationally. If you're a Christian, it makes sense to say the universe acts rationally. If you're not a Christian, you have no reason to think that the universe acts rationally. And philosophically speaking, I'm not saying for you the universe doesn't act rationally. I'm I'm saying you need to you need to account you need to give an accounting for that rationality with within your own scheme like based on your own starting principles and if you're starting without god you you do not have a starting point you don't even have a reference point for um for understanding one one other thing in the universe even yourself uh, because everything is go ahead well i mean i mean but the other thing uh so I never came to the. I, I, I'm, I'm not assuming that the universe acts in a rational sense. In fact, from the perception of right now and this current time, nothing can necessarily act rational. I mean, like, what acts on Earth fundamentally won't act the same on Mars. Lower gravity, different. Yeah, but that statement that you're making right now is a rationalist statement about the universe. You understand that the laws of physics are constant and that if you change conditions, those laws are going to be instantiated in different ways. You're, you're describing a rational universe. Well, I'm, 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 I'm describing uh, the current state of our general area. Yeah, but you, you know, we can apply our we can apply our rationality to you know maybe our local solar system, maybe even a couple of outer planets that are around, maybe a few meters too. But to apply that purely to every other planet that is out of our solar hmm. system and work, we can barely tell if we even know if it actually if everything will actually work on a full scale on Mars, let alone yeah. even on our local moon. Floken, what you're doing is right now you're you're describing a state of affairs in the universe that that is rational you're saying that certain things behave a certain way in this place but if you if you go somewhere else you can expect them to um behave differently you're describing things no, in a, i'm not saying that they expect F- looking let me finish my let me finish hold on uh let me finish that that thought what i'm saying is you are making rational statements about the universe as if your words correspond to an external world that is going to behave in the way that you're describing it. So whether or not you and I describe the universe in a different way, which I'm not sure that we do, but let's say that we do, um, we have to make rational sense out of the universe. If you start with God, that is an endeavor that makes perfect sense. If you start without God, you have not even the first reference point to make sense of anything in the cosmos whatsoever um you 
everything must be defined in reference to something else. The number two is defined in reference to all other numbers. Um, what that means is the sum of everything must also have a reference point, an ultimate reference point for it to have any meaning whatsoever. That ultimate reference point is God. So if you start with God, you can make rational statements about the universe like you are attempting to do now. The difference between you and me is not fundamentally in the conclusions we reach, but in our starting point. So what you call a leap of faith, I'm saying, has to be your starting presupposition to even believe one other thing about the universe. Otherwise, you're just... um uh, a blob of protoplasm reasoning into the void with no reason of, you know, thinking that anything you're saying is either going to be rational, let alone true. So, what, so then would you consider science a religion of its own? No, science is not a religion. Science is a tool of, of gaining knowledge. Scientism can have aspects of a religion, but that's where you think that science, uh, you sort of uh, elevate science to sort of a uh, religious dogma level where you're like science is going to give us all the answers and you know the, the only the only truth we can get is from science i don't i didn't hear you saying that i, I was you asked me if i thought science was a religion i, I said no hey guys other people all right let's wrap it up thanks floken yeah yeah it's nice, nice seeing you uh have a nice day same to you man uh, this was this was fun yeah it was thank you I like, um, I like it when you guys keep it cordial. All right, we're going to try Marxism again. Um, see, he's going to try to push the talk. We're going to try Marxism again. That sounds like a horrible idea. Anyway, Mark, you hello? Yeah. Awesome. Oh, man, we found a workaround. All Sweet. Right, so what's your well, question? I got to say, you know, thank you for the opportunity to speak. Well, we did it. We figured it out, buddy. Happy to talk to you, man. So, um, yeah, I just had a quick question, right? So, I'm trying to... I guess, convince myself of uh, the possibility of there being some, you know, I think that I don't see a reason for an, an omnipotent, omniscient being, right, to act in any way that, that humans can subjectively imagine as in creating the universe. Uh, why is that? So I think that, you know, an omnipotent, omniscient being, there would be no reason to act in any way by creating the universe, uh, because this, this being would have no needs, wants, or desires, mm -hmm. you know, since these concepts are, are subjectively human. How do you know that, that uh, those aren't, um, how do you know that, you know, desire, for example, is not a communicable attribute of God that we have... And and we exhibit analogously to how God has it. I mean, even if it were, I don't understand how the, the being would would have any desire to create the, this universe. Well, um, according to the the Bible, God created us to worship Him and to know Him and to love Him. Um, part of part of the difficulty you may be having, Marx Marxism. Uh, is you may be dealing more with sort of a God of the philosophers than the God of the Bible. You know, sort of a vague, bare theistic concept of kind of a monadic God. You know, um, one, one God that's sort of out there, sort of existing without, um, really much interaction with anything else. And that's, that's not the, the biblical depiction of God. That's not how God truly is. According to the Bible, God is one, but he's also triune. And essential to his nature is love. 
Um, love, you can define it variously, but, um, you know, love is at least desiring the best for the other, desiring the good for the other. So according to the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love one another. And they are, um, they have, uh, um, the theological terms are like perichoresis and circumincessio. They are in one another and they love one another. And, um, the way theologians have described God's act of creation is he didn't create out of a lack. So I'm totally with you on that. God does not lack anything. He doesn't, in fact, the Bible says that, that that's actually a biblical concept. The Bible says, if I were hungry, would I, would I ask you, you know, like, like what can we possibly bring to God? Nothing. But if you understand that God in his very nature is love, which is what the book of first John talks about, then it makes sense why he would create beings in his image um, that he could love and that would love him, not because he needed love or lacked love, because he's perfectly sufficient in that. The Bible talks about God's aseity, his self-sufficiency. Um, but, you know, when a husband and wife get together, their act of love brings about a new human being. And um, that's sort of a crude earthly analogy for God's act of creation. You know, God is love. And when God creates, he does so in love. And that's why when God finished creating, he said, this, it is very good. In fact, when he had created the first man, this is actually really interesting. He created Adam and um, there's Adam sort of out there in the wilderness. God hadn't put him in the garden yet. I don't think. Maybe he did. No, you know what? He put him in the garden. And then he said, I might be getting my, my timeline off on that. So forgive me. But he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And he puts the man to sleep. It's the first um, example of anesthesia in, in history. He anesthetizes him. And then he takes a woman out of his side, not from his head so that she'd be above him, not from his foot so that he'd be so that she'd be below him, but from his side, sort of under his arm so that he could protect her and be side by side. And, um, and, and then God says, it is good. It is very good. And so God, the God who is one and many within himself, three created us male and female so that we would also be in communion with one another and communion with him. And so, if if you think about it that way, it maybe makes a little bit more logical sense. No, it does. So, I mean, even if I were to presuppose that this sort of perfect being, right, were, were to have or, or to, you know, relate to the same conce- concepts that, that are subjective to humans, I still think that, you know, this perfect being long ago uh, would have satisfied all of its wants and desires and, and would no longer be able to take action in the present. So, you know, without proving that it had been unable to achieve its wants faster, that this shows that it's imperfect. Well, again, I think you're importing philosophical categories that aren't part of the biblical worldview. Um, according to the Bible, God is God is free. God is totally free. He's the only being that exercises perfect and total freedom. Um so there's nothing, uh, and I'm, 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 believe me, these are the questions that I myself have wrestled with. So don't, I'm not blowing off your question by any means. You know, why didn't God create the world sooner? Why didn't he create the world later? Um, 
but you know, if you want to wake up in the morning and let's say it's a Saturday, you can, you can wake up at any time you want, right? There's nothing essential to your being that says you need to wake up at 9 a.m. as opposed to noon or whatever. If you've got nothing going on that day, you're free. And again, that's another crude earthly analogy that says God can create whenever he wants to. God can create however he wants to. God is totally free. Now, freedom in the Bible does not mean, uh, arbitrariness. Um, every creature acts in accordance with its nature and God, God's nature is good. So we can sort of infer from that, that it was good and necessary or necessarily good. If you want for God to create when he did, how he did. Um, and is there some mystery involved in that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But remember, God doesn't lack anything. That's not why he didn't create because he was filling up a lack. So God was perfectly satisfied in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before creation. And he's even more glorified in creation. But, um, but there's no logical necessity that we could impose on God to say, well, you know, God, if you really are who you are supposed to be, you shouldn't have created. He's going to say, well, who are you to answer back to, to God? In fact, that is what he says in Romans 9. Okay, that makes sense. And I just have one last quick one. Can you, I'm sorry, man. We got to get to the next person, though. Can you come back around? Yeah. Oh, yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unless we got no one else waiting, Ellipsis? Hello? Did we lose him? I'm not too sure. Okay, well, you want to go ahead and ask your question real quick? Yeah, sure. So. Oh, now I can't hear you. Yeah, I sorry, hear you. sorry, I was pushed to talk. So I, I was just going to say, like, the existence of, of, of an, an omnipotent God who wants humans to believe in him um, by arguing that such a God would do a better job of gathering believers. Another philosophical, uh, you know, type of argument. Uh, what's the question? It's basically so the argument is uh, okay. So it's utilizing Occam's razor. Yeah. So this this contends that since you know natural theories are are, are adequately or, or they do adequately explain the development of religion and belief in gods, uh, the actual existence of such supernatural agents is, is superfluous and may be dismissed unless otherwise proven to be, you know, required to explain the phenomenon okay e- even the idea of having a principle that apply like occam's razor that applies universally and and um concretely and um what's the word i'm looking for absolutely presupposes god the idea that there could be a, a necessarily true proposition like that um you know who did this uh james a james N. Anderson or A. Anderson? James Anderson uh, was recently on the Capturing Christianity podcast and was talking about how propositions, uh, for there to be any necessarily true proposition, you have to already presuppose God because uh, propositions are mental entities. They're, they're thoughts, basically. And the fact that there could be a necessarily true proposition only makes sense if that proposition and any other natural, uh, uh, necessarily true propositions are thoughts in the mind of God. Um, God is the, 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 in other words, the, the idea that you could have something like Occam's razor being this necessarily true proposition without already presupposing God, the God of the Bible, um, 
uh, doesn't doesn't cut it, doesn't work, doesn't fly. There's no metaphysic to ground a necessarily true proposition like Occam, Occam's razor in without God. So, um, you know, I guess if I thought about it, maybe that might apply to other deities, you know, less like deities that exist contingently or something like a Kali or something like that. But, you know, that that just wouldn't apply to the God of the Bible who necessarily exists necessarily, definitionally. Thank you for your time. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Marxism, but we've got to work around. So, again, so um, raising hands may not work for everybody. If you want to ask a question, DM me, um, and then I can put you in the, in the queue. Uh, we have Trendy Web up next. Thanks so much, Marxism. I'm going to kick you off, but I'm inviting Trendy Web to come on down. How are you, buddy? Hi, Trendy Web. How you doing? If uh, uh, voice activity doesn't work, try push to talk if you're on mobile. That doesn't work. Buddy? Sounds like we got a sleeper. Are you there? We got a sleeper, huh? Can you hear me? Yep. Got you now. I had to do a little work around. I'm on mobile now. Nice. Okay. Um, so, uh, I, I wanted to ask uh, about, uh, because I'm Catholic, and so we may have a different perspective um, about um, people who uh, aren't uh, Christian being uh, saved, because okay. uh, I believe it, someone brought it up, and I wanted your your uh, take, I guess, on it. Um, because do you think uh, non Christians uh, can be saved? Um, it's a good question. Uh, well, what does the Bible say? You believe the Bible is the Word of God, right? Yes. Okay. So, what does the Bible say? How do you read it? Um. Uh, I mean, well, he brought up that uh, no one can go. Uh, to the Father, except through me, that is uh, what Jesus said. So you would have to go through the Son to get to the Father. Um, in we 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 hear about the necessity of baptism to be saved, um, and of faith, uh, hope, and charity. Uh, Saint Paul talks about this. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, excuse me. Uh, and uh, the the uh, specific Catholic uh, teaching is that um, these things are all necessary. Um, and so, for if a if uh, for example a someone we would not consider Christian were to be saved, you would still need um, them to uh, follow God's will and to have uh, the graces uh, imparted by. Baptism, for example, and uh, theological virtues. And they would need to be invincibly ignorant, we would say. Uh, meaning, can you can you define that last phrase for me, invincible ignorance? Yeah, so they uh, were not culpable for... They were ignorant of, uh, of uh, Jesus Christ uh, being God. Got it, got it. And, Okay. And, and everything that is in the, the New Testament. Got it. 
Thanks for that. So, according to what the Bible says um, about salvation, you know, Romans 1, so, hmm, Romans 1 really puts us in a pickle because what it says is that since the beginning of creation, God's eternal power, His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, having been revealed in the things that have been made. So that, and Paul specifies, so that they are without excuse. So then the question is, why doesn't everybody automatically believe in God coming out the womb? Well, to a certain extent, they know God, according to that same passage there in Romans 1, but they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so we can call that ignorance of God, but it's a culpable ignorance because it's it's rooted in unrighteousness. So universally, and, and elsewhere, I think it's in Romans 3 where Paul quotes from the Old Testament and says, no one seeks after God. And then Paul specifically indicts the Athenians in Acts chapter 17 because he says he created all people and placed them in history in the families that he wanted them to be in so that they might grope around in the dark and find him. And yet they don't. In other words, you synthesize all these passages and what you find out is everyone knows God. They at least know that he is. They know his eternal power and they know about his divine nature. And they know that just simply from creation. And um, I understand that to be both creation externally, like in the external world, but also within myself. And so there is literally no one without excuse. I think that's the constant testimony of scripture. So that being said, that really puts humanity under a universal condemnation. Um, the reason why is because we sin and we deny God. And part of our sin is the denial of God. We don't acknowledge God. We don't give him thanks. We don't glorify him as God or give him thanks, according to Romans 1. So um, the reason why I lay all this out first, Trendy Web, is because I want to just sort of dispel any idea that the Bible talks about innocent people going to hell. The Bible never talks about innocent people going to hell. The Bible never talks about people who, if only they were given a chance, left to themselves, would have accepted God. The Bible is very, very clear on that. That does not that does not happen. So then the question is, how can anyone be saved? Well, if you go to uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So the Bible is clear that we are saved by grace through faith. You're absolutely right about John 14, 6. Jesus did say no one comes to the Father except through me. And if we view that as a passage about salvation, which it is, that means no one gets saved apart from from Jesus. Jesus himself said you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God in John chapter 3. So who is it then that receives this grace that is given this faith? And by the way, your statement about works, um, we have to make sure we keep works on the right side of the faith and salvation equation. Works come after being saved, not pre, not prior to be, not prior to being saved. Uh, the reason we know that is because the Bible tells us that all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags, um, that we can do nothing to earn God's favor on our own through uh, obedience to the law. And, um, but it does talk about works of righteousness being a characteristic of the Christian life. So we know well, who's a Christian. Well, someone has already been saved. So there is no salvation outside of Jesus. Um, but that doesn't mean that the 
the person who has never heard of Jesus is somehow therefore innocent. It's not failure to hear. It's not like the only sin is rejecting Jesus. Sin is a, a state of being in which we reject God as Lord and refuse to give him thanks. And we live our lives accordingly to that in rebellion against God. So... The next question people say is, well, why does God, you know, how come God only saves some people and not others? Well, God's God. He doesn't, he doesn't have to save anyone. We've all deserved, we've all earned death. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life. So God can have mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, compassion on whom he wants to have compassion. That's uh, Romans 9. And, um, and the Bible is very clear that that, that salvation only comes by grace through faith. Now, the one place where I, think you can make a case where someone in this life never actually hears the gospel and is still possibly saved. And I would not die on this hill, but I, I think it's true, is unborn children or people who, um, let's say, never have an opportunity to sin, if I could say that. I, I don't want to be heretical here. Um, but an, an unborn child is still ontologically a sinner uh, in in the sense of um, not having necessarily committed actual sins, although I don't know what the moral reasoning of an unborn child is, but um, but rather just you know didn't have the opportunity to sin, um, but but still is ontologically a sinner be- by virtue of being descended from Adam. You know, as a good Catholic, I'm sure you un- you understand about original sin, um, the doctrine that Augustine articulated, but um, so. But I think you can get enough evidence in scripture that children who die before actually being morally culpable for committing an actual sin might still somehow be saved. They would still have to be saved by grace through faith. Don't ask me how that works, okay? Um, but I do trust God and I trust that God is good and I trust that Jesus loves children. And I also trust that the Bible is true when it says that David said that he would see his son again, his unborn, his, his newborn son who died, who, you know, miscarriage. Um, or it was either a miscarriage or, um, you know, the child died after a couple of days. You, you, cut, you, you cut out for me. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, so David said that he would see his son again, his infant child who died. And, um, well, we know that, you know, David, um, David is now in heaven. And if he was going to see his son again, we can infer from that that his son is in heaven as well. Well, how does that happen? Well, there must be some way that he was saved by grace through faith. Um, cause that's how salvation comes. So I don't have a fully developed theology of that. I have done study on it and I, I, I just don't think the Bible is totally conclusive in what it teaches about that. But in terms of people like you and me, you know, out of the womb, morally responsible people, I think it's very clear that salvation only comes through hearing the gospel and through faith in Jesus Christ. All right. Hey, that was, I'm going to cut it short. That was a great answer, actually. Perfect capstone on that. This has been part one of the Discord Apologetics AMA. Be sure to check out part two. 